0: During the 1930s, Dr. Adolf Marr was director of the National Museum and head of the Nazi Party in Ireland. He and his family lived in Dublin from 1927 until shortly before the outbreak of war in 1939. There were four Marr children, Gustav, Hilda, Ingrid and Bridget. This is the story of the Marrs of Dublin, as told by Gustav and Hilda, who were teenagers when they left Ireland.
1: Waterloo Place. It's now up at Street here. Yeah. On the corner of Waterloo Road. I used to watch the trams there and note down the numbers, and it was, I was was a tram fanatic <laughs> and a railway fanatic too, yeah.
2: My father, when he was in the house and he heard us children speaking English with each other, especially Gustav and I, he was four years old and at school, we would communicate English and then Dad would shout upstairs, Deutsch sprechen! We, we would shut the door and <laughs> continue in English. <laughs>
0: he wanted, so he wanted you to speak German?
2: He, he wanted us to speak German with each other. And at the table, at meals, and together with parents, we would always speak German. But as soon as we didn't know a German word, for, we would use an English word. Choice, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we have frogs in that pond sometimes when you come near when the Sun is out uh, and you come near they will jump in At, as it is in shadow now they're in the water I have to clear that again it's full of this water uh, as we call it water linsen. Uh, well, we call it a watercress as well. hmm Yeah. <laughs> My name is Hildegard Straßburger, called Hilde, by the family and by friends. And I am née Marr. I am the, second da- uh, the first daughter, the second child, of Adolf Marr and Maria Marr, which was a née van Bemelen, a Dutch family. And I was born in Austria, in Klagenfurt. And I am now 75. And I moved to Dublin with my parents when I was one year old. So I had no remembrance, of course, of Austria.
0: Now, where are we? We're not in Frankfurt.
2: No, it is a suburb of, it isn't really a separate town, Dreieich. Eich. It's halfway between Frankfurt and Darmstadt. It's uh, 19 kilometers, or, no, 10 kilometers from Frankfurt. Center.
1: My name is Gustav Maher and I'm the son of Adolf Maher, his only son. And uh, I grew up in Ireland because we moved there in 1927. I was born in 1922 so that I'm now 79 almost, not quite. I was five when we moved over to Dublin. and. I started a year later in Tullamain, which was the prep school for Wesley College. And after the usual four years, I think, I went to Wesley College then, travelled by bicycle down Leeson Street and Stevens Green. You joined Hitler Youth in Dublin? Yes, we formed a little group, yes. How did that happen? I can't remember who formed the group, but of course it was uh, the, the, the adults were very keen that we did this so that we could learn some german history and and practice our german outside the families because uh, we were all going to english speaking schools at that time there were no german schools there so uh, in order to remain german at heart and by not only by um, by birth uh, you you had to you you had to take part in 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 what was then more or less the cultural background of National Socialism. Most of the leaders were German students who were of course also Nazi infected and they, they took over the job of leading us because they were young and active and we did semi, what you call, pre-military drilling and this sort of thing, marching and beating drums and doing, doing everything that was going on here in Germany. But we weren't forced to do these things, so it was it was quite a lark, you know, going to Balbriggan and, and and doing doing nightly walks and and and, uh, and playing playing robbers and Indians as we'd say nowadays. <laughs>
0: so so where would you meet generally? Where did the Hitler Youth movement meet in Dublin?
1: Well, mainly in our back garden, you might say. We had a little outhouse in the back garden, which I remember very well. It was a hen coop actually, but my my parents had made a little playhouse for the children in the garden and there we convened. But we also went to other uh, houses where German people lived and where, um, where there were youngsters of our age. But the group at most was perhaps three or four girls and four or five boys.
2: I lived in Ireland till 1939 and I was just 13 when we left from Dublin for a, for a six-week holiday. Mm-hmm. And what happened? And uh, Well, we came in by the 21st or 20th of July and we wanted to part on the 3rd of September. The ship should have gone on 3rd of September and the war broke out on 1st of September dad tried to get our passports back which we had to uh, which we were taken away which were taken away when we landed in Cuxhaven and he went to Berlin and tried to get them back sooner because he wanted to take a, an earlier boat but we couldn't get the passports back they were not interested in letting the Germans get out of the country again
1: I did a a year schooling in in Austria, which was very difficult because I had to adjust from the Wesley college system to to the to a German secondary school, which was very awkward because <coughs> I knew a lot about Irish history but nothing about German history or almost nothing <laughs> and even my language was was not very good i mean my 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 German was not as, as good as my English was at that time and then i moved to berlin where my father was already working here for the for the for the museums and then later for the propaganda people and he was here all during the war and i moved here and did my leaving certificate here in berlin
2: so the whole family moved up to Berlin. Gustav was up in Berlin at that time already because he visited a school for foreign children, foreign German children at that time. Whilst I, we went to the normal Austrian-German school. And, we and then f- we lived in Berlin from January 41 till August 43 when that was bombed.
0: So had you been affected by the war up until that point? Had you seen bombings in Austria? Nothing,
2: nothing. Yeah. There was nothing happening in Austria. There was not a single bomb which fell in Bad Ischl. This, this was the area where the Nazis all gathered at the end of the war. That was the safest part of Germany, really.
0: So you went mm. up to Berlin. And when was the first time you became kind of aware of the, the bombings
2: Of the violence, of the bombing. I did not become aware of the Jewish, the violence against the Jews, really. Because at that time, the Jewish children had already been um, taken out of the schools. So I hadn't seen that. I hadn't realized that. The, the Jewish children, which had been at this school in Bad Ischl, they were rather safe. They moved away, and I think they even left the country.
0: But up in Berlin, they had been removed already. They
2: had already been removed, so I did not get in contact with any Jewish children there, and I did not realize it. I only saw that they wore they, the the people wore these uh, yellow Jew Jew star, but I was not aware of any violence. I did not even gather that they were deported. I must have been asleep. I was busy with myself. It seems.
1: After that, I was drafted into the Labour force and then into the army. So what rank and what regiment were you in? I was only a private first class. <laughs> I never wanted to become an officer. Probably wouldn't have been a very good one either. And that perhaps was a sort of instinctive uh, standoffish position. I didn't want to get too much involved with, with the whole show. I, I didn't want to become an officer or uh, or to to lead troops. I did my duty, but more or less not I did it wholeheartedly in, in I was very lucky I never had to do any fighting actually. I was only trained as an infantryman and then later as a signals man and later as an interpreter here in Berlin. I did deciphering work for the the british uh, army in, in we deciphered uh, the messages that were sent for in in the Mediterranean area, and that's why I had to go to Africa.
0: So that's why. But you the
1: but it. the British had already uh, cracked our codes so so thoroughly that we hadn't a chance of keeping up with them. So <laughs> that's the uh, that's the business with the Enigma machine. You may have heard about that. Yeah. So you were trying to track to
0: crack the british codes at the same time
1: we had certain codes win, yes but on the other hand this saved my life because as long as i was here in berlin and stayed behind the lines i didn't have to do any fighting and i mean i wasn't actually a coward but i didn't feel like fighting as most people do not and I, of course i wasn't i wasn't keen on fighting english people or irish people or My old school friends, many of the Wesley boys,
0: served in the British Army. What was it like to be living in a city that was being bombed? What was your first experience?
2: The first experience was try and get into shelter somewhere. And the worst experience was that I, as I was a girl of the higher forms, I had to do uh, watching at night time once a week. Ten girls had to stay there overnight and when there was air raid alarm we would have to put on our helmets and we had the whole cellars full of people coming in for safety and uh, as soon as uh, one of the guards said we have uh, brandbomben, bombs, uh, fire bombs, in the roof we would have to go up and smother them or throw them out of some window out into the yard. You'd, you mean you would pick we, up
0: a live bomb?
2: We had to, hmm? And um, in
1: 1943, beginning of 1943, I went to, uh, to Northern Africa for the final mop-up. Six weeks later I was in captivity. And then we had a long journey from Tunis or Tunisia, to America then. Three weeks by boat, Liberty Ship, uh, to Newport News, and then we were we spent three years in America
0: in prison camps as a POW. So the labor camp was kind of forced labor. Yes. It was almost mm-hmm. like a concentration camp, except...
2: No, well, it, they called it Arbeitsdienst, uh, working... Dienst uh, duty working duty
0: it conjures up an image of barbed wire
2: no no barbed wire we were free to move around there and we had to work at the farmers or at families but we were not allowed we didn't get leave it was just like a, a, a military service military duty but not for girls with a gun but with, with work
0: so you went off to this uh, camp. What happened to Ingrid I and was, Bridget? Ingrid and, and
2: Bridget stayed with mother in Silesia till in January forty-five they uh, went from Silesia with a transport over Berlin down to Austria again. And I met them in Berlin at that uh, that day. I got leave for a day to meet them in Berlin. And we put dad and, and I put the three on the train with families and people leaving the town.
0: And then they went down to
2: Austria to Bad Ischl again. Again, to, where they were to, safe. They were safe there. And mm. you,
0: your dad went back to Berlin to his office. He to, was
2: in his office in Berlin, and I was north of Berlin in Garnsee in this camp, and then in Mayenburg in another camp. And then I had, every month I had one day leave and I went down to Berlin and the last time I was in Berlin was on the, somewhere in March. I saw my father off with the train with his whole Auswärtige Amt being uh, deported to, uh, to Oldenburg.
0: So does that, that, when its radio uh, station got bombed in Berlin, they moved? They,
2: they moved the station out to Westerstede. That was the safest part of Germany also. There was no bombing there. And it was just behind the uh, Dutch border. There's eighteen. We were supposed to go there if we had to go away from the Russians. And this labor camp was uh, dissolved. And the girls were sent back to Berlin because they all came from Berlin. And I didn't want to stay in Berlin because I had nobody. So I managed to go all this way through here.
0: This is down by Dresden, through Berlin.
2: Through through Berlin during a dreadful air raid. And there I saw awfully many dead people because they, uh, they were in the subways where they all sheltered. And they were flooded by water from, from the river because of the bombing the, the whole uh, subway in these stations was flooded and they were all drowned
0: and how did you see those bodies?
2: because I wanted to go down into that station and then the people dragged me back and said you can't go down there it's all underwater and I did go down a few steps as far as I could and I saw all those people lying in that water <laughs>
0: How many people would you say?
2: As far as I could see in the dark, it was morning at four o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. It was light already because it it was April.
0: So there was hundreds of presumably women and children mostly?
2: Mostly women and children, old people. Hmm. And then I walked, more or less, I walked through three-thirds of Berlin, and there, I had to step over the dead people and over the over the dead horses, and and I made my way to another station. I don't know which it was, Anhalter Bahnhof, and so. And there was a group of soldiers which had to be sent down to the south, and I I was in uniform. I only had my uniform, and I asked. Uh, one of the, the, the captain, can I join you? I have military papers, I am on leave, I am allowed to go with military transport, can I try to get down south with you? And I went down with them, with a train down to Dresden, and there we got into a dreadful air raid, and there we, we really, next to the rails, the bombs going down, the, the train was wrecked and so on. Did the
0: train keep moving during
2: the air raid? No, no. There, there was a whistle, the train stopped and everyone got get off the train, get off the train, run into the field or run into anything. And I, we ran into a big, big area where there was a lot of metal. It was a, a building lot for the railways. There are lots of iron pieces there and we sheltered in these iron pieces and then the bombs dropped right beside us and that metal started flying around everywhere. I had a rucksack, this thing I showed to you today, in that there was a blanket and I just crawled in somewhere with the rucksack in front and and the other thing on top and hope it doesn't hit you.
0: So when the air raid was over then, what do you do? Can you get back on the train or was the no, train destroyed? No, there was
2: no train. So we formed and we marched down bis von, von Dresden bis Pirna. Pirna is not on it here. That's a little town we, we marched well.
0: Now, before you left, did you, could you do anything? I mean, not all the soldiers were killed. Some of them no, must have then, been very badly maimed. Could you do anything for them?
2: There were, yes, there were um, ambulances and uh, ambulance services which really came and picked up. But the whole group with its commanders, they had to leave and we we just had to move on.
0: How many soldiers did he die in that?
2: Well, I was with them three days and three nights on this way down here. And... I heard that about five or six of them were no more with group. We were, it were about, we were about 100 people. Hmm.
0: So, and you were the only female?
2: Yes, (laughs) a funny feeling, a girl of of not, how much, of of 18, 19, with that group of, of men, but those were all elderly soldiers who were no more really Uh, fighting Uh, why they had been sent down south I don't really know there was no fortification anymore there
0: and what about you were a young woman Hmm. even in uh, non-war situations young women are often afraid of travelling alone Hmm. what were your feelings at that particular time
2: Uh, do you mean according uh, the male sex yeah As in uniform, uh, I knew that I was able to resist that. If there had been rape, I wouldn't have been able to do anything against it. But uh, I was not really afraid uh, that a German soldier would do anything to me. They were very much feeling also for all these young girls hanging around, lost, trying to find people to get home to their families. It would have been more likely that I had been raped by Russian. My cousins from Vienna, they were out here in St. Pölten, they were both raped by Russian soldiers. But not by your own, because if they were caught on it, they were immediately stood up against the wall and shot.
0: So when your father was afraid of you being at a labour camp near the Polish border because it was near the Russian front, Mm. that's what he was afraid of?
2: He was afraid that I had not got out of here and had been overrun by the Russians.
0: And was it common that they would rape German women?
2: All German young girls in that place had been raped. Even the mothers and in front of their small children and so on. But it is a natural, as I know from medical studies, it is a natural reflex on the dreadful pressure under which soldiers are with shooting and fighting and attacking. Somehow uh, it is an instinct nearly that they get sexually mad.
0: And this is something that you were aware of, mindful of, all the time during your travels and during the...
2: Uh, no, over. I was not... Uh, I mean, that's what I know nowadays. Uh, I did not know at that time. But I felt that nothing would happen to me from German soldiers. But I was well aware that I must keep away from Russian or Polish, from enemy troops. And you could be sure even the Americans would not rape.
0: Why could you be sure?
2: Because we were sure that the Americans would... Uh, if it was found out that they were punished or even shot for that and then I got I walked then from Passau to Wels and there I for the first time saw uh, men from the concentration camp which was in, that's not on the map here, in a little town here they had to try to set up the rails again for the North-South connection.
0: No, of these the would have been more, These would have been mostly Jewish men, like they these weren't prisoners of war. Were,
2: these were all Jewish men, and there I, for the first time, saw these awfully starving people, and they were. it was awfully muddy. It had rained for two or three days. The rails were up in the sky, really, like that, and mucky underground and they were supposed to take away these rails so that it could be put on new again and I was when I walked past I thought what are they looking for in the ground and then I saw they picked up white beans which had been out of a train which had been wrecked and They gathered these beans and ate them white beans are uh, a good food you have them in a salad but if you eat them raw they are poisonous but those people didn't know that. You can't eat raw beans.
0: They were, were they sent out to pick up the white beans? Or no, the they, were... they
2: were starved and they saw that is something I can eat. And you could see all this? Yeah. Just by walking along the road, be, be, not not along the road. I walked over this big big station because I always walked along the railway lines. That was how I knew my way. Because I, Dad had presented me and I still have it, a map of Germany with all railway lines. He gave that to me in Berlin by at our last meeting and said, Hilde, save this map for yourself, because you don't have no knowledge of German. Uh, geography and it is true at that time I did not know much about German geography and he says you'll never find your way If you don't have a railway map and follow the railways, and that's what I did But of course it was also the most dangerous thing to follow railway lines because they were constantly on the As soon as you heard airplanes off you were into the fields again I was in Wels, and I saw there's nothing with trains doing here and I passed on this, over this big station. I knew this station very well because I went to school here and I frequently came to Wells. And um, when I got further out on the rails I saw an engine standing there and I went to the, to, up to that engine and I said are you trying to leave? Are you going to drive west again? There was no connection east. He says yes, I will be leaving here in an hour or two. And I say, I told him, I am trying to get to Bad Ischl. Will you be going that way, Bad Ischl? Yes, I've got to go back that way to Avonse. And then he said, I have to take that train back with these uh, concentration camp members, with these workmen. And he said, Get into the angel, I'll hide you. Can you imagine that? (laughs) A big electric engine which is all covered apart from these little uh, holes for fresh air where the big block of the electric train is in between and He can stand in the front or in the back of that electric engine and there are a couple of corners where people can stay uh, and work on the on the engines and the accumulator and so on. He said, sit down in that little corner there, hide yourself there, put your rucksack in front of you and the blanket over you and hide there. And I hid in that electric locomotive for about two hours. And I thought he's forgotten me,
0: but- You couldn't see him. You were locked up in the engine. I was locked
2: up in the engine. And And he was outside and then he moved. Suddenly that started to move, and it started to and fro, and to and fro. And then it moved off. Could mountain. you look out? Was there little slits
0: where you could there look out? There
2: were these little slitses, and I did crawl out of my hide and look out. And uh, I saw we were moving. It was dark by then, of course. And uh, after about a quarter, quarter of an hour, I heard him say, Hello are you still there?" I say, yes I am. Okay, we are continuing. No more. And when we got to Ebensee...
0: Ebensee was the concentration camp?
2: It was the concentration camp. And there he said, "Uh, I'm getting off the train here, but I know who is going to take the train on because the train had to continue to Hallein, down here. That was the end point of this railway line.
0: South of Salzburg.
2: South of Salzburg. And Bad Ischl is in between. It goes from Gmunden, Bad Ischl her line. And uh, he says, stay in there. I'll give my colleague notice. So at this point... Don't move out.
0: At this point, the train was inside the concentration camp. No,
2: it went to the concentration camp in, in Ebensee and then they had to walk into their concentration camp.
0: These same starving people you had yes. seen picking the beans mm. hundreds of them
2: well i think it was at least 100
0: and could you see out could you see them as no. you get there
2: no a... he said keep in that corner covered up because if you have because if they had found me there he would have been shot and i don't know what they had they've done the same to me too so i was just like a little Kid, uh, little kitten, I hid in that corner and said, God bless me, let's hope this works out properly. You have no other choice. I can't walk from from uh, Vels to Bad Ischl. I was nearly starved by then. I had no foods anymore.
0: So the train got going again?
2: And the train got going again. And after a certain time again there was a voice is there anyone in here I said yes I am and then he asked me where do you want to get off and I say in Bad And he says okay but not I have to stop at the main station don't get off there but the next uh, then he passes the industry part industry station And I'm not supposed to stop there, but I will stop for a short moment and jump off the train. (laughs) And so he did. He gave me notice a few moments ahead. Get out of your hiding place and we are slowing down. I stop for a short moment, you jump off and I throw your your luggage out of the train. It was dark. It was 11 o'clock at night.
0: And did you know where you were?
2: Of course I knew because I regularly swam through that river from our house to the industry uh, station.
0: And how far then were you from Bad Ischl?
2: I was in Bad Ischl. it was just in the industrial part and I had to walk a a distance to get over the bridge and to walk back, our house was just opposite. Hmm. And I came in at 11 o'clock at night there I got a blow. I rang the bell and my youngest sister Bridget opened from upstairs and looked down and she gave a cry. Mum! Mum, come! And Mum said, Adolf, Adolf, is it you? And of course I was disappointed that she, she wasn't expecting me.
1: And in 46 I came back and found the family here and in, nor- in northern Germany as refugees. And um, then I spent a few years working for the English, Um, for the Control Commission for Germany as an interpreter no chance of starting any studies or doing anything uh, for my
0: (laughs) mental development Neo-Nazi groups nowadays they look to you as being, someone like yourself as being kind of a hero you you had been involved with the, the Nazi movement as a youth you had fought in the German army so they would see you as being Hero, how do you? They may expect to see me that in that
1: fashion, but there's there's no there's no possible chance of uh, what is of of my condoning what is going on. But as my father said, I'm a shit Democrat at heart, always was probably, (laughs) which doesn't mean that. I don't have national national feelings for, for, for... And I've become a German, after all, by force, you might say, because I was forced to to adjust here. I, I knew that I would have to live here. And when the war was over and I came back from captivity in America, I knew that there wasn't a, the, the, least, the least chance of getting back to Ireland. Not only because my father didn't make it, but because, as he writes in a letter which he said to us after he was pensioned off, very poignant letter written in German, where he more or less gives a balance of his life and tries to explain to us and, and uh, f- to find exoneration for bringing us into this turmoil, which of course his wife uh, definitely leveled at him this accusation that he was to be blamed for our downfall by his adherence to, and by the work he did here in Germany.
0: So you, your father was a Nazi Mm -hmm. figure, Mm -hmm. and you married a man who had Jewish blood. Yes. How did that make your father feel?
2: Uh, He was a little upset about it. And he said, now beware, you are marrying a member a family where there is Jewish blood in this family and I said what do I care it is so senseless this whole discussion about Aryan and Jewish blood we are all infiltrated somewhere from very very many uh, lines and that was the only real uh, discussion we had that I said daddy I'm sure I'm going to marry that man and I'm sure uh, that uh, all your ideas about racial ideas does not uh, uh, to this family, does not account to this, no, does not apply, apply to this family. And you yourself know this family because, because of uh, my, my husband's grandfather, and my mother's father, they were colleagues in Jena and the families knew each other since many, since three generations and I say there's there's no um, sense of thinking about this racial background and uh, if you still think you have to uh, be aware on that point, well then I can't speak to you about that because it's quite sure that that is the family I want to be engaged with.
0: Did he come to your wedding?
2: Oh, of course he did. He was best with my my mother-in-law. He came regularly to Frankfurt when I was busy with my little baby and a husband who was off in hospital and in sanatories for three years but Dad would come down from Bonn occasionally. He would sit night and night with my with my mother-in-law, and he, he respected her mostly, and they were best friends. And I think my father really learned to realize what mistakes he had made.
0: Did he ever say, did he ever admit that he had made mistakes? Did oh, he ever... yes,
2: he did. He was said to us once, we had the idea and the ideal of our life, we had the chance of our life, and what a mess we made of it. He now meant the politics. We had the chance of our life to build up a new country, and we had the ideals to build it up, and what have we made of it? And that comes to this personal letter which I of which I spoke yesterday where he does a resume about the end of the whole thing he wrote a long letter to the family just 19 uh, December 1948 there just after christmas 1948 he was down in frankfurt for the christianizing of my elder boy and uh, He wrote this account for his wife and for the children and made a resume of what his ideas or prospectives are for the future because he had just got the letter that he could not return to Dublin and that they would not take him in to service again. And now he was making a review what Shall we do? What can I do? And what, what is the result? How shall it go on?
0: So he, he wrote, almost as if he was reporting, writing an academic report, he wrote mm-hmm. a report to his children, to yes. children, accounting for his actions.
2: Yes, and especially what is to become of us all. And there are these last sentences that I have not only wrecked my life and my, my profession, I have also more or less wrecked the life of my children. But he hadn't. He had given us enough strength. And backing up and enough brains to think about it and to work at it. And he loved my husband. (laughs) But he didn't see much of us because he was in Bonn and he died 1951. The elder boy was just three years old. I had married 1947 and exactly four years later died. As we were all involved in this situation, you did not have the feeling uh, it was a, sp- a special hardship for you. It was a hardship for all people round about and I was happy, I was healthy and, and solid and, and uh, capable to try to find a new way. Others were really wrecked, killed, lost. I knew I had a family and I knew if we get together again we will manage somehow to continue. But I did hope I would be going back to Ireland and would be able to take up studies there and to make my living. But I do not know if I had really stayed in Ireland. Although I love the country and I love the people there. I like their attitude and I love the sound of the language. I love the music.
1: It's amazing, really, in many respects, how it forms you and and determines your life. What your parents do with you determines your life.